Well, good morning to everyone up in Quakertown. Uh, I miss you guys a ton. Uh, can't wait to see you guys tonight at our second campfire prayer night of the summer. Uh, we kicked it up a notch last year with our s'mores, uh, last uh, month I mean. Uh, what we did was we went a little crazy. We took some Oreos, untwisted them, toasted the marshmallow, put it in between. It was ridiculous. It was an Oreo s'more. It was insane. All of you in Sourton, you're invited to come up as well. It's at 6.30 tonight in our Quakertown uh, campus in the backfields. Come on over for our campfire prayer night. All of you in Quakertown, I need you to do me a big favor today. Uh, at some point today, will you tell my wife that I t- said happy anniversary? 18 amazing years. So. So make sure you let her know. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Billboard Top 10. And then what we're doing in this series is that we're taking 10 weeks to look at 10 verses. And these are the verses that kind of are the verses that you memorize, the verses that are are your favorite verses or the verses that seem to be the ones that are popular in the church and the kind that you see uh, on T-shirts or tattooed on someone's arm. Last week we listened uh, to Rob Lockery and he shared his personal favorite verse. And this week what we're doing is we're going to move forward and take a look at a verse that I'm not sure that most of you probably count as your favorite verse or even know anyone who counts as their favorite verse. But the verse that we're talking about today has year after year remained in the number one position in the top ten. It's kind of the motto of the church. It's the verse that the church holds up and proclaims as their life verse. Today we're going to look at number one in the top ten. We're going to look at John 3.16. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of John. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are different ways that you can follow along. Uh, You can... Uh, read up on the screens. Uh, you can take your phone or your tablet out and go to the Bible app or the Bible Gateway app, or you can take one of the Bibles we have at Calvary Church in Southerton. They're in the seat racks in front of you in Quakertown. They're in the back of the room on some carts. Uh, go to the back of the room. Just get up and go get them right now. Or you can uh, raise your hand and usher will bring it to you. Whether you're in Quakertown, Southerton, if you don't own a Bible, take it home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life. We want you to have one. Grab one. Take it home. Give us a call if you've never read the Bible, and we would be more than happy to walk you through that. Where we're going to be reading from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, sometimes I'll turn on the radio and I'll hear a song that I haven't heard in a long time. And you know what usually happens is, is that when I first hear a song and I, and I like a song, I kind of get into it a little bit. And if everyone else likes that song and then it's played on the radio a lot and it kind of saturates my life. And I get to the point where I start humming that song or I'll sing it in the car. And then you get to the kind of point where you're like, okay, that's enough. You know, that, that's enough of that song. You know, it's in the grocery store. It's at the gym. It's everywhere. Here's that song. You can't escape it. And so what ends up happening is you kind of tune it out when it's playing a little bit. In fact, whereas you used to raise the volume when it came on, you kind of lower the volume, you know, because you're, it's just been too much, right? 
But then as time goes on and, and, and years pass, you might hear that song again on the radio and all of a sudden it just all comes back to you and you kind of realize, oh, this is why I love that song. This is, this is what was so cool about this song. I think we need to do that today with John 3.16. I think sometimes it's so saturated in the church culture that we kind of miss that first time that we knew the truth of John 3.16. And maybe we need to just kind of distance ourselves from everything we think about this verse and just kind of hear it again for the first time. And for those of you in this room who are hearing this verse for the first time, man, I'm a little jealous of you. I want to be honest. Because this verse is so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's so impactful. That let's not miss its beauty because we have saturated our church with it. And so we're going to talk about John 3.16, and what we've done in this series so far is that we've asked ourselves three questions. We've asked ourselves three questions as we've looked at the different verses. We've said, what's going on? What's being said? What does it mean? And what we've wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we were going in that order. What's going on? What's being said? What does it mean? Because a lot of times we jump to that last question. We prematurely jump to what does it mean? And we skip all of the rest and we kind of rely on our own self-interpretation. And at times we can come to an incorrect conclusion. And so we want to make sure we're asking those questions in that order. And so what's going on? Well, John 3.16 comes at an interesting point. It actually comes at the end of this interesting story. In this story, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He approaches Jesus and has a conversation with him. Nicodemus is a religious ruler. He is uh, what was called a Pharisee. And he's not just a, a Pharisee, he's a respected religious ruler of his people. He is a teacher of his people. And he comes to Jesus at nighttime, and he has this conversation with Jesus. And Nicodemus, as he goes and he has this conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus is a typical representation of Judaism at that time. The concept of careful observance of the law and the traditions of his people are what he lives by. It is what he champions. It is his, how his whole life is centered around that concept. This was the Pharisee way. This was the Jewish way for salvation. And Nicodemus comes at night to Jesus. Jesus has a conversation with him. And in the midst of that conversation, Jesus flips everything upside down. And he shatters everything that Nicodemus was kind of holding on to. He turns it upside down. And as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, what he ends up coming out and explains to Nicodemus, what he ends up coming out and revealing to Nicodemus is that it is not a devout following of the law that is going to fix this. That you, like Nicodemus understands God's holiness. Nicodemus understands that people are not holy and that because of that, God and people are separated, that something's broken, that something needs to be fixed. And so Nicodemus has centered his life around the fact that observance of the law, observance of traditions is going to be what fixes this. And Jesus says, you've got it wrong. It's not about a devout following of the law. That won't fix it. It's not about adding to a new form of Judaism. It's not about adding to new traditions or, or coming up with more legalities here. What it is is required is a new birth. 
And this kind of shocks Nicodemus. He doesn't understand what's going on. He goes, what are you talking about here? And as they continue to talk and as they continue to do this, what comes out is that the answer isn't more law. The answer isn't more traditions. The answer is a radical work needs to happen inside of you. And the only one who can do that work is God. And as Jesus is talking to him, he's flat out refuting the notion, he's flat out refuting the common accepted notion of the Jewish people at that time that the kingdom of God can be accomplished, that entering the kingdom of God can be accomplished by the efforts of man. And so salvation by human merit is not a possibility. Nicodemus comes and, he's, and he is the picture of human merit. He has observed the laws. He knows the laws. He's doing everything according to the right traditions. And Jesus says, none of that, none of that is going to fix things. That your life, Nicodemus, is so gripped by sin that even these good works that you do are covered with it. It's nothing that you can do that will fix this situation, Nicodemus. Your merit, your actions aren't going to do anything. It's going to be God who has to step in and do something. And Jesus reveals to Nicodemus by telling him a story from the Old Testament. He tells him the story of the Old Testament. And this story points to how Jesus' death will occur. And the point and the reason for Jesus' death. And he begins to explain to Nicodemus that God has to step in and do something and the way that he's going to do that is through my death. And it's at this point in the chapter that we read the most impactful truth of all history. Up until this point, What's going on is that we have this religious leader who comes at nighttime to have this conversation with Jesus. Jesus has this conversation with him. He flips everything upside down and he begins to tell him, it's not about what you're going to do. It's not about what you've done or what you will do. It's about what God has done and what he will do through my death. And he begins to tell him that for all of those who believe, Eternal life is offered. What's going on? Jesus is having a conversation with a teacher, with a religious ruler, with a representation of all of that Judaism stands for. And he turns everything upside down. And then he gives the motivation for that flip. You see, what's being said? What's being said? What's being said is, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You have to understand how radical that statement is. It might not sound radical to you at this point in your life, but it is a radical statement to link that verse to the story of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, to follow that story with that verse. It's completely radical. 
This conversation Jesus had was with the people, uh, with, with the person who represents the people of, of the Jewish culture. Nicodemus represents everything they stand for. And to hear after this conversation with this Jewish leader, to hear for God so loved the world, that is shocking. Not because of God loving. That's not new. If this verse had said, for God so loved Israel. If this verse had said, for God so loved Israel that he sent his son, it would have made sense to people like Nicodemus. It would have made sense because they were looking for this nationalistic Messiah, this Savior that was going to save them from those who were oppressing them. They were looking for, for someone who was going to step in and bring Israel back to prominence. And what happens in this verse that follows this conversation is that this verse is saying that what the people of Israel were looking for, this salvation that they were looking for, is so small in comparison to the salvation that God actually offers. God so loved the world. This is radical news. This is intense. This changes everything. And the beauty of this verse, the beauty of John 3.16 is this. The beauty of John 3.16 is the complex simplicity of it. There's no hidden meaning to John 3.16. It is what it is. What it says is what it says. But what it says is so rich and so deep and so complex that its simplicity is actually its power. You see, this statement of for God so loved the world is radical to the, to the people of that time, but it is also radical to us. And sometimes because we have heard it at different times in our lives and churches, and some of you actually may have memorized this verse or you can quote it to me or whatever it is. You learned it as a child going to Sunday school or, or whatever. It's on T-shirts. People even raise it uh, at Football games or baseball games, they just kind of wave the, the, the card back and forth with John 3.16. Because it's become so saturated, we may forget how radical and amazing this statement is. For God so loved. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest and open with you at this point. I made this mistake as I was prepping for this sermon. Because as I was prepping for this sermon, what I kept doing was I was trying to figure out some, some uh, hidden truth to give you, uh, some sort of you know, nugget of wisdom to give you. I, I've heard this preached so many times. I'm like, well, what am I going to give to them that they haven't heard before? How do I kind of package this thing, repackage it, gift it up, gift wrap it, whatever it is? How do I give that to them in a way that they haven't heard before. It's not about gift wrapping in a new way. This truth is complex. And I was struck by that because of a conversation that I had with a man this week. I was talking to a guy named Wilson. Wilson is the youth pastor uh, over at Living Hope Church nearby over in Dublin. We were over at the Quakertown Skate Park. 
And up until that point, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to present this in a new way? What am I going to do about this? And, and I'm talking to Wilson, and, he's, and he goes, we're just talking, I'm telling him, that, hey, I'm preaching on John 3.16 on Sunday. And he looks at me, and his eyes light up. And he's like, I love that verse. I'll be honest with you, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I've heard many people recite that verse. I've heard many people quote that verse. I've heard many people acknowledge the importance of that verse. I've heard many uh, organizations or churches use that verse as kind of like their vision statement or, or whatever. I've, I've heard the importance and the acknowledgement of that importance. I've never before that point had someone actually come to me and just say, I love that verse. And I looked at him and I was like, Really? He said, oh, yeah. And he began to tell me a story, and he was like, you know what? When I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything. And so someone told me I should read the Bible. They're like, now that you become a Christian, you should read the Bible. That kind of made sense to me. And they said, you know what you really need to do? You need to start in the New Testament. He goes, okay, I'll start in the New Testament. So he starts reading in the New Testament, and he gets to the book of John. And then he gets to the third chapter, and then he gets to this verse. And he is stunned. He is floored. He says, I remember reading that verse and just looking, this is amazing. And he takes his Bible to school the next day and he goes into the cafeteria and he goes up to his friends. He goes, have you seen this before? Have you seen this verse before? And his friends must have been church kids because they looked at him like he had lobsters coming out of his ears. And they said, dude, it's John 3.16. He goes, no, but I mean, do you see what it says? And they're like, dude, it's it's John 3, 16. He's like, no, do you see what it says? And he gets up and he just shouts to the cafeteria. He goes, for God so loved the world that he saved me. As I'm listening to him tell this story, his eyes just go off into another place. And his eyes are just in another time, in another setting, as he's lost in the excitement of this verse. And all of a sudden, he gets quiet. And he just looks down, and I'm not sure if he's talking to me or talking to himself. And what he says is, I just don't know if people really see that verse. I just don't know if people really see that verse verse and that was the biggest slap in the face I could have ever had because here I was supposed to be teaching you about this verse and I wasn't seeing it I don't need to add to it for God so loved do you understand the immensity of that statement do you understand the beauty of that statement for God so loved the world for God so loved you For God so loved me. Do we stand in awe at that truth? Do we even understand what love is? We say God loves you. Do we even understand what that means? In the Bible, we read of a man named Paul. Paul goes on these different missionary journeys. He writes letters to different churches, and they're found in our Bible, and and one time he writes this letter to a church in a town named Corinth, and we know it as 1 Corinthians, 
And in this letter, Paul gives a definition of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. For God so loved. That's what that means. For God so loved that he was patient with us. Even though we fail him over and over and over and over again, he is patient. Even though we rebelled against him, he chooses to be kind and show us tenderness. God does not envy, which means he does not resent us. And while God is God and has every reason to be proud and boast, Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of dying a death on a cross. God, who deserves all honor, chooses to honor us and call us his children. He seeks us and he's slow to anger. God, in his infinite love, sent his son so that your debt, so that my debt, so that our debt, so that our record of wrongs would be wiped out. God does not delight in our sorrow, in our pain, in our heartbreak. Instead, he reminds us over and over again of this amazing truth. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. God always protects. He entrusts his mission to us. He's our source of hope, and he perseveres, relentlessly perseveres, pursuing you and I. God will never fail us. Life may not turn out the way that I thought it would be. There will be heartache. There will be pain. But God will not abandon us. His love is ever-present. It is secure. And it will not fail. This is what it means for God so loved. For God so loved you. That's what it means when we say God loves you. Do we understand the truth of that? Do we understand how complex is that? Or have we simply made it into a logo for a coffee mug? Don't churchify this truth. God loves you. That is intense. It is earth-shattering. It is life-changing. It is rocking your world. It has rocked our world for God so loved. So what's going on? Jesus is having a conversation with a Jewish leader. This Jewish leader comes to him with the understanding that things can be fixed by our own efforts, by our own merit, by our own good works. 
And Jesus flips everything upside down and says, that's not how it works. It's going to take an act of God. It's going to take my death. What's being said? The motivation for that act is that God loves. God loves more than you can possibly imagine. More than you can possibly imagine. And that earth-shattering truth sets up the momentum for everything else that follows. So what does it mean? What does it mean? It means that God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he did something about it. What does it all mean? Let's go back to the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Because God so loved the world, he sent his son. He sent his son. Let that sink in. It's not for God loved the world. It's for God so loved the world. He so loves you that he would do anything to get you back. And he sends his son. For what reason? To save the world. To save you. Not to condemn the world but to save it. And why does it need to be saved? Because it was already condemned. It was already condemned. It already stood condemned. The verdict was had. All of that good stuff that Nicodemus thought he was doing was just as filthy as all of his sin that gripped his life. He stood condemned. God so loved. God so loved that he sent his son to save you. That whoever believes would have eternal life. Not simply an additional quantity of years but eternal life, a new life, a new birth, a life united with Christ. And so we are to believe. And when we believe, we come to the light. We come to Jesus. And when that happens, everything changes. 
Look back at Nicodemus. Here's Nicodemus. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. And he comes to Jesus in the night and has this conversation. That's not the last time we hear of Nicodemus. We find him in chapter 7 of the book of John. In chapter 7, he is kind of defending Jesus. There's a council and they're all anti-Jesus and they're, they're saying all these things and Nicodemus sort of speaks up. I'm like, hmm, something's going on there. What's going on there? And then we find him in chapter 19. Jesus has died on the cross and all of his disciples are in hiding. They've all ran away. When Jesus was arrested, they fled. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea begins to take Jesus to his tomb. And he's helped by another man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to prepare the body of Jesus. He gives this extravagant gift of honor. This culmination of the religious leaders putting to death this very person he is honoring. That has caused the disciples to flee and hide. Nicodemus boldly goes with Joseph to the tomb and prepares this body. What happened? What happened to this man who came in the middle of the night who now goes and boldly prepares this body? The cross happened. The truth of John 3.16 was seen. And the fulfillment of John 3.16 happens. The gospel happened, and the gospel changes lives. So what's going on? Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, a religious ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is confused. He's living life a certain way. Jesus turns it completely upside down. And in that conversation, a truth is revealed to Nicodemus that will completely change everything. What's being said? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world more than you could possibly imagine. What does it mean? That whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life, not due to any works or merit, but due to Jesus' death and resurrection. It means that I am no longer carrying the identity marker of condemned, but instead I carry the marker of child of God. Where once I stood with the identity of condemned, I now stand 
as child. As God's child. In a moment, we're going to sing a song again. But I want you to just understand that the gospel changes lives. That the truth of John 3.16 is the momentum behind everything we do as Calvary Church. That we exist because we're simply a group of messed up people who had their lives changed by the gospel. And so we bring the gospel to everyone and anyone in both word and deed. And so I ask you to put on some fresh ears. And hear this verse as if you heard it for the first time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much for the truth of this verse. We thank you so much for your love. Forgive us for forgetting how rich it is how powerful it is. God, I ask you that if there's anyone here in Sowerton, over in Quakertown, that does not know that love, that has not put their faith in Jesus, that you would begin to make this verse just alive in them, open their eyes and their ears to hear and see the beauty of your love. Lord, help us to be a church that is rocked by the gospel. That we will be overwhelmed by the power and beauty of the gospel and that we will not stop continuing what you started and bringing the gospel to anyone and everyone who needs to hear it. Let this verse burn inside our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.